Hey, I'm Fred. And I'm Ed. And this is Create a Generation. Create a Generation of Hype. All right, Freddie boy, what is happening this week? This week we're chatting with Nick Barberi, who had a very large, successful channel at over a million subs, but is now a creative director for another couple of YouTubers, Preston and Brianna, who run some mega channels. I think there's a a level that you hit where you you can't scale indefinitely and still have the spirit of that creator. Hey, uh, before we get started, if you like this podcast that we've put together for you, please let us know on Apple Podcasts by leaving a review. We'd love to hear what you think about it. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome back to Creative Generation. This week, we are joined by SGC. God, I've got the letters in the right order, I think. Barbarian. That's the hardest uh, part. <laughs> Nick Barbieri. Did I get that right, Nick? You're a lot closer than most people. Uh, it's Barbary, but I've been told my entire life that I pronounce it wrong. But that's the tradition that goes back three generations of my family, so I'm going to roll with it. I like that. Own it. Hey, um, Nick, well, thank you so much for joining. I was super psyched that you said yes to join us on the podcast, um, and you're telling us you're psyched to be here, so I'm going to cash in on that later. But why don't you tell us uh, a bit about yourself? So I guess the 30-second elevator pitch, uh, I'm a creator that started back in 2009. I started off making, if you guys know what Tech Deck is, those little fingerboards, um, started off by making those when I was 11 in 2008 and realized I needed a way to market these. So I threw videos up on the internet thinking, Hey, maybe someone will buy these fingerboards. That basically turned into me really enjoying YouTube, realizing, you know, when the partnership program came out, Hey, that you could actually make money off of views at this, uh, at this point and kind of shifting my focus from like the manual labor of making these fingerboards, which is a very time-consuming process for about $30 gross sale. Like it's not a very monetarily rewarding hobby. Um, so about when I was 14, I got into the the Call of Duty commentary scene, joined up with Machinima through the years, did Minecraft content. I think most people, maybe not that are finding this show, but like if they've heard of SGC Barbarian, probably know me from like the Minecraft series. Um after high school, moved out to Seattle, worked at a, a YouTube company in like 2014, like very early in that that sort of realm. I feel like now everybody's got sort of a team behind them. But at that point, it was it was very new and exciting. Um, so I did that instead of college. And about three years after that, or three years later, moved back to Boston, did my own production company, kind of gave my channel uh, sort of like one last push. But uh the last step, I guess I could I could tease it, save it, but I ended up in Texas working for another creator, uh, Preston and Brianna. So um, pretty happy with with my final landing place. It's been a journey to get here, but you learn a lot from the things that maybe don't go exactly as planned. Let's just say that you just like s- summarize well 2008 to to now. Um, and a lot of th- a lot of things. It sounds super simple, um, and for people who don't know. Preston and Brianna, maybe a couple of the biggest YouTubers going around, but maybe you should explain that too, just so you can. So Preston is someone that I've, I've known for about five years. Um, He was someone who I met in the Minecraft space doing Minecraft let's plays. We were, I think we were in a group together, even as far back as like when I was like 15, which was, you know, really interesting 15 to 24. Now you just, you're a much different person. So um, I only really have, truly got to know them like the last four or five years. They are family-friendly content creators that have 
generally like a a really good purpose behind their videos. And I don't say that in the sense like not every video is going to charity, but you know, I know from experience, you know, especially talking my channel was much more of a an act. It was much more of like a persona that I would put on. Um with these guys, it's it's really genuine. Like they actually care about the individual person. You know, a lot of it is kids, but they they want the best for that person. And part of that is the YouTube video experience and making sure that, you know, if you're going to spend 12 minutes of your day watching something, it better be good. Right. And like, just that passion is kind of what has made me think this might be my, my forever home, so to speak. That's awesome. And finding your forever, forever home in your mid twenties is a beautiful thing. Um, Let's go. Can I like go way back? Like what was the, the thing that really sparked your, passion into the into like creating youtube content or video content i actually know the exact because it was it was a very traumatic injury i guess you could say no it was really just i fractured my ankle in a couple places so i couldn't play soccer this season that i was 13 turning 14 i'd already been doing nick's fingerboards the youtube channel for a little bit more as like hey these are my fingerboards go buy them um when i injured my ankle I, I found myself watching these modern warfare 2 commentaries and i'm sure like you guys have been on the space long enough to remember like the c-nanners the blame truth the mm-hmm. you know only use me blades like those guys and for me it was also watching you know c-nanners sark hutch get these real actual jobs working for a youtube company machinima at the time based in la um that's what really drove me to say, you know, I'm going to buy a Hapage HDPVR. I'm going to record my Xbox and like, I'm going to try to make these Call of Duty videos. Turns out I'm not very good at Call of Duty, which is a very <laughs> big prerequisite. I used to literally pay my friends to come over. This is before theater mode. So you couldn't even take other people's gameplays like that would have been great for me. But I had to have my friends come over, sit in my physical chair, record, you know, a nuke or like a really great gameplay that I could then talk over and pretend like it was my account. <laughs> it, it was a, you know, it was a struggle, but it was also like a passion project. I, I mean, I did a, a trick shotting clan with my, you know, six of my closest friends in high school. We did montages, weekends editing, all night or sleepover. Like it was just, I'm really fortunate that I found something that I like really loved to do at that point. And it gave me the drive to continue to make videos. And, you know, I'm 13 to 16 at this point. I'm not really consciously thinking, how can I make each video better? How can I improve these skills? But I was using an editing software every single day. I was, you know, learning how to organize footage in, in a very rudimentary way, but like understanding the the value that that has in a production, like just so many lessons that I, I really didn't even understand until like, God, I mean, even some today, like I feel like every month I'm thinking about something or using it as an example, like, you know, back in the day, like makes me feel old, to be honest, when I'm talking to all the employees here. But it's uh, I always say like that part of, you know, when I say I have 12 years on YouTube, like, yes, a good chunk of those. I was a child, basically. And, you know, my approach might not have been the most efficient or maybe as as rigid as someone working like a real full time production job. But I think it was just the fact that it was day in, day out, really the consistency of like, I, I probably posted, you know, 3000 videos over a 10 year stretch. So that's close to one video every day. I mean, there's very few weeks where I didn't post a video and especially in that time frame, you know, when it was just call of duty commentaries, stories, um, you know, one crazy thing is I used to be really afraid of, of 
speaking in front of an audience or speaking in front of, uh, you know, public speaking in general really freaked me out as a kid. And I think genuinely, like I remember from eighth grade to like, I think it was sophomore year, I took a public speaking course and it was so easy for me. I, I was shocked. It was the easiest A I've ever gotten. I never had to write anything. I could just rift. And that's when it like, I feel like that's the first time it really clicked where it's like, I'm really building skills here. And like these skills may, you know, down the line, I, I can't take all the credit. Like I've had some great people around me who have sort of told me the way that this space is looking like it's going and, and I'm able to sort of adjust my plan. But yeah, I, I think that's like the first that's the first era, if you want to call it that. The the fingerboards, which was really just, you know, an extension of making these things in my garage with my grandfather. And, you know, then moving to like, okay, we're gonna do YouTube and like that's the business. That's the company. We're not selling anything. I'm not trying to make a Call of Duty game. I'm literally just making videos. And like that was a very it's easy to say that now, but in 2011 that was a very weird concept is that you're going to be this YouTuber. You're going to get this full-time job off of this, maybe even more than full-time, you know, like this was around the time when Fred was hitting a million subscribers, like early, early era YouTube where it wasn't as obvious as it is today. I feel like what the space is. And how did you get then from there to where you eventually sort of settled into your main channel? I got to give three shout outs. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Brett Hundley, Joel Rubin, and Anthony Antos. I'm forgetting his last name. But those three guys at Machinima Realm, um, when I first got the email to post on Machinima Realm, it was like a really big deal. It was you know this new channel that they were starting. Everybody knew Machinima. Everybody knew Respawn. But they wanted basically people to make League of Legends gameplay and this weird game that sort of was popping off called Minecraft. And... I was like, what? You want to give me two uploads that can get hundreds of thousands of views a week? I'll make four videos a week. Give me four slots. And, you know, so I was like so gung-ho to the point where, you know, anyone that I met in during that era, like 15 to 17, I almost have to apologize because I was the biggest Machinima fanboy. You know, they'd be weeks late paying us and, and I'd be like, you know, you, you don't understand. Machinima's trying their best. And meanwhile, it, turns out that maybe they weren't exactly trying their best not to dive down the whole mcn rabbit hole but oh, um that's that's what really you know that's when it became serious uh the, the trajectory that i always tell people is like you know up until i was 18 i always made enough money to like justify doing it so at 14 i made good money for a 14 year old right by the time i was 16 and my mom wanted me to get a full-time job i was posting four videos a week to machinima and i was you know able to contribute to like you know like some household bills and like it was like okay you don't need a job you're earning money doing this as weird as that is and you know i still remember when my mom flew out to la with me to visit machinima and she thought we we're gonna meet some guy in his basement like she literally to this day i don't think has a great understanding of the space that i'm in but um especially back then when there wasn't even like this mainstream awareness it was a really hard thing to sell. Like, hey, mom, I want to go visit these people on the internet that I met. Oh, yeah, the people that pay me every month. Not sure how that works. And it's just a hard sell for like a parent. You know, they grow up like college is the way. Like, you have to do good in school. And here I was like skipping school on the day that Call of Duty released because I was able to find it on Craigslist a day early. And like, I had to make <laughs> videos about it. You know, it was just a, I give her a lot of credit. Her and my dad, very supportive parents. And in the way that like, they didn't really even understand what was happening. They just were like, 
he seems happy. It seems healthy. Just don't get kidnapped. Essentially, <laughs> I mean, that's what everybody was worried about back then. That's fair, but like, as you said, this wasn't a thing really back then. Like it wasn't even today. People are like, you know, they have to like break it to their parents that they're. But at least their parents now can they you know they can google it and be like oh youtubers are on forbes like that's a you know it's like being an nba star maybe they don't believe them but like it's a real thing right and i think that's the the big difference like the story i always tell is is when i was in middle school starting youtube it was not a very cool thing to do it in fact was a very lame thing to do i go back to my old middle school i started about three years ago and just basically talk at career day they call it heritage day uh shout out nams if anybody here is watching this but that shift like from being completely lame to me having a packed class every time actually having kids trying to sneak in to the class because they couldn't sign up for it every kid knows how many subscribers people have in their grade who's the most subscribed someone had a viral tiktok last week like the dynamic is completely shifted. It's it's rock star status. I mean, I think everybody knows that YouTube can be a lucrative career path. I just don't think people have like a really genuine understanding. Listen, you can't just buy a Lamborghini and become a YouTuber. Some people genuinely think, and especially like these young kids that I talk to, it's like, that's what they think this is. And I, I try to tell them, you know, the story I'm telling you guys where it's, you know, it's not that, but even if it never works out, even if at 17, I had stopped doing YouTube, I just closed my channel down. All those years of building that skill, like took me a while to realize, like, I'm a pretty good photographer and I've never taken a photography class, never taken anything. I just have done enough of this content that like, I kind of know how to frame a camera, not in any sort of like technical way or a way that would be, you know, respected by anybody with any traditional real experience, but better than you know most 17 year olds can hold the camera it's like little things like that where like that's such an advantage in the real world yeah. like when you're talking about jobs and all that yeah i mean that's an, that's an interesting point about obviously how kids are doing things now are obviously super different um to you know how it was and we look at it as like you know, this, this generation of access they have access to so much there's no barriers to entry uh you know anymore um to a lot of things like especially the entertainment industry which you know you, know, you could, couldn't just simply go and, you know, make a video, put it up and become famous, uh, you know, years ago. Uh, and no, now, there were gatekeepers and yeah. you had to go to college to get access to those gatekeepers. And even then it's a, it's a, you know, it's a pie in the sky dream versus now like the audience decides if you make good content, people are going to find it. That's right. Yeah. It's a, it's very different. How do you, how do you, where do you think it's going to get to? Like, what do you think the next evolution of that's going to be? Well, I think you're already sort of seeing it. Um, I'm, you know, old enough, I say I'm 24, I'm very young. Um, but like in the sense that I do remember when YouTube first announced their partnership program. So like, that's where I look at, like, nobody can monetize their videos. This is way over here slowly, but surely it got to the point where like the requirements for monetizing dropped to the point where you could pretty much monetize a channel almost immediately. If not immediately, I think you might've had to verify your phone number or something. Um, obviously then we get into the adpocalypse situations, you know, brands become a little bit more picky about what they're paying all this money to go up against. And it sort of swings the other way. So I don't think we'll ever get to the point where it's impossible for a new creator to, you know, blow up, so to speak. But I think the idea that, you know, 
I think my path where it was like, I was never really big, but I was actually able to make a decent living with very little skill sets, like at 13, 14. I think that becomes a little tougher just as people's standards for content rise. You know, Mm -hmm. no one wants to watch a video filmed on a, on a flip webcam (laughs) or, you know, one of those old, old 480p type cameras. Like everyone wants the iPhone quality, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like you're talking about the accessibility I mean, I know my little cousin is like 12 and she makes hilarious TikToks. I was not making hilarious content by any standard, much less an adult standard at 12 years old. So it is more reps. It's more practice. It's tough to say, but I I think it's just you're looking at like some sort of hybrid between what traditional media is, but maybe just without the gatekeepers with with more organic um, you know, explosions. You look at creators like Dream, Mr. Beast, relative newcomers to the YouTube space that are just completely dominating. Um, I think, you know, that's that's kind of my two cents. I, I don't have a crystal ball. I wish I did. Hmm. No, it's just fascinating seeing how things have, you know, have changed. Like this, this whole idea of like anyone can do it, you know, if they have the uh, the go- the drive and, and they're willing to do the hard work, you can, you can make it happen. Definitely. Hey, hey Nick, you, you mentioned something that um, I think a lot of aspiring creators would sort of uh, question, like you said, you know, you, you've stopped making content on your own channel, like the SGC, SGC Barbarian sort of Minecraft channel a couple of years back. And you're like, oh, it was, I think it wasn't a very big, or I think you said something like moderately successful, um, but that has, you know, a million subscribers and like, you know, consistently hitting a couple of hundred thousand or more views per video. Um, I think a lot of a lot of a lot of aspiring creators would. Um, what, what was the quote you would, you said earlier when we we're off air? Like, uh, cut off digits to sort of get that. <laughs> um, so, like, what's the like maybe what's the context or story of of that? Um, you know, a, a million a million plus subscribers. That's that's very impressive. I would think. I don't want to give off a, I'm very humble. I I don't like to talk about myself. I I like talking about YouTube and I can do that in the context of myself, but um, I'll just be completely open with you guys. I mean, the end of my channel, like I said, it was a persona. Um, I was a creator who really never got into YouTube because I was like in love with being on camera, right? Like we talked about the fingerboards. It was to sell the fingerboards, the call of duty stuff. It was, you know, more than anything to have something my friends and I were all involved in. And, and this was at the point when phase was still a trick shot in clan. So it was just the, the cool thing to do at that point when I was in high school. Right. Um, I was always on camera because that's what you need to do as a YouTuber. It just wasn't my main passion in the space. Um, I think when I, when I turned 18 and moved to Seattle, that's the first time I got a taste of sort of what this space could turn into. And, I was lucky enough to meet uh, Mike Beinstock, who has been a great mentor to me and like basically sat me down and said, listen, some of this content you make is great. Some of it is not appropriate for all ages and ads are not like brands don't like that. So you need to go in the direction of kid friendly, family friendly. This is in you know early 2015. So very much before the apocalypse scenarios went down. Uh, but what working there sort of told me is like, this can be bigger than just me. It can be bigger than just I'm a single creator making this content in my house or in my office. And, you know, that's that, right? If you are smart about it and, you know, being smart means 
sometimes making a decision on your content that will affect the revenue. And what I did with that that revenue, like my channel, um, it was always very modest growth, like never, uh, you know, a big blow up moment. The million subscribers took me until literally six months after I I stopped uploading to hit. Um, but like when my channel was doing eight to 10 million views a month, we were clearing, I don't know, 66, I think my highest month was 65,000 in revenue, gross revenue. So very, very lucrative business. Um, and what I did was sort of, I hired a bunch of employees to try and build my own model with me at the top as the content creator. Um, so we got up to, I think, when I was in Boston, this is in between Seattle and Texas in the story. Um, I spent about a year out there. We got up to about 10 full-time employees. Um, some of them, actually, I still work with a lot in Texas. You know, They run million subscriber channels of their own, and they've just been able to sort of carry on the torch. But the one problem with putting me at the top as the creator is as the company built and as we scaled, it turned into me being in recordings for eight to 10 hours a day. And that's just not where, where my passion is, especially with the content I was creating, Minecraft Hide and Seek. I'll give you guys a, an inside scoop. The reason that series was my most popular series, well, I don't know if it's why it was the most popular, but the reason why I did it a lot is because I had a model where that video would take me 25 minutes and the edit would be, you know, maybe four or five jump cuts. It was very, very, you know, sort of, it was done with a purpose, very intentional. Like I want to be able to put out as much of this as possible, but I knew how to do it so well that eight hours of my day, I was just repeating the same tasks and not, you know, you put a spin on it, but again, like I'm not an actor. I'm not someone who loves that role of being on camera. And I just wasn't able to get it to work with anybody else in the talent position. It just, I think it really made me realize like, okay, this experience that I have making 3000 videos, like that might've taught me something, right? Cause these people are very smart, very savvy. They just can't pick it up the same way that I can. So at that point I made the, the really tough decision to shut my company down um, I, I did keep a few employees on, like I said, Shane Uriet, who runs Shane Plays, he runs Reactory, um, a couple different family-friendly channels, is still very much like one of my closer friends in the space. He was the only person I kept. So nine people had to, I had to let go. And the reason I, I let them go is like, I knew that I wasn't going to do a company in Texas, but I needed to go where the other creators were. And it was a very, I think when I got to Texas, I still had this thought that I might still upload videos, just maybe on my own. Um, quickly realized that, you know, the, the videos, while they were a great system, it only really worked with the team. Otherwise, the system was incredibly difficult. So I would have been spending eight, nine hours on one video, which was, you know, the opposite of what I was trying to do. For me, the important thing was what I'm doing every day has to lead me in five years to be in a better position than where I was now. Um, I didn't think filming Minecraft videos over and over again for the majority of my day was going to do that. I'm someone who thrives on like this type of conversation. Like I honestly, I'm so glad I met you guys through this random podcast invite because y'all seem like kindred spirits to me. Um, talking with creators, you know, sort of impacting that like experience if you can call it that like just trying to get them that information and frame it in a way where maybe i can save them six months of just banging their head against the wall um so i made the decision to stop uploading my channel uploading to my channel and right around that time i, I want to say it might have even been before i stopped uploading um you know preston was making the pivot into real life content 
So it started off as, you know, hey, do you mind holding the camera for me? And it, it turned into, you know, we're, we're, I think, 20 employees strong now, um, you know, trying to really just teach people who maybe were aware of YouTube, but not really aware in the same way that like someone that's been doing it for a decade plus is um, just trying to like hone those skills. And it lets me focus on skill sets that I think are going to prove valuable for me in the future, you know, manage, management skills, leadership skills, um, you know, the ability to effectively motivate a team. Like these are all things that I know I was not going to get filming Minecraft videos for eight hours a day. And so far, I mean, the last three years have, have done really what I wanted them to, which is like, I, I feel myself growing and learning every day. You know, growth is a really important value for me. And I guess that's kind of the mindset. Hopefully it, it made a little bit of sense, but it was just this intentional decision that, you know, I'm not getting what I need to out of this content. Um, I, I just don't, you know, no matter, you could have said it was making a quarter million a year or a month. And it's like, I'm, I'm not willing to sacrifice the experience and the time. I can always make more money. I'm, I've never been terribly, um, I've always been fairly good at finding out how to monetize my hobbies. I'm just not sure why that is, but it's just something that I've noticed about growing up and like everything I've gotten into, there's always been like some way to make money with this. And um, YouTube is kind of just like the one that stuck. So I just, I like learning and you can only learn so much when you're playing hide and seek in Minecraft. <laughs> hey, uh, Nick, you mentioned moving to Texas and like, that's where the community was. It's kind of interesting because like, what was the lure there? Because I, I know a lot of people think like LA or New York, that's the YouTuber, that's the place to be. So what was the, like, what made you pack up and go to Texas? Well, I'm from Boston. So New York was never on the table for me. I have a deep, <laughs> deep hatred for that city. In fact, I, I went there for a Minecraft convention and I, I had to leave the next day. I was supposed to be there for a week. I, I just couldn't take it. It's so claustrophobic. And I think also this preconceived hatred. I'm a huge Boston sports fan. So it just goes with the territory. Um, I can't tell you how many times I almost moved to LA, like in a very serious way, like at least two or three where, uh, you know, I really genuinely thought that I was going there for me. It's always been about being around other creators that I felt were like-minded. There's a lot of different ways to create content. And I'm not saying my way is the right way, but I've found that, you know, I get a lot, especially in my like personal satisfaction and the way I'm living my life, being able to have these conversations, um, perfect example before i moved to seattle i had signed a lease to move to green bay wisconsin hmm. because that's where this bam lounge group steve Suptic, aviator big mac and bert this group of creators that i had gotten to know on skype playing minecraft had a big house together in the suburbs of green bay and they were looking for a roommate so i was like you know what i'm gonna sign this lease i'm moving out to green bay uh thankfully they all moved to seattle and i followed so it's never really been about the location for me. I'm going to be honest. I, I don't have any love for Seattle. It's great during the summer, but it's a depressing place to live in the winter, the other nine months. And Texas maybe is not exactly my speed either, but for me, it's about the people here. And like, that's what I, what I mean. Like, you know, regardless of this job or, or this role or, or this channel, it's like, it's really just about the people. You know, I have friends in the space that I've, I've talked to for 10 years and, that's like more important to me. And, and even if they've moved on from this space, like being able to sort of not reminisce, but it's just a very unique context to, to be able to, I think this is the beginning of a lot of, you know, online industries. And it's just 
fun to be able to like walk down memory lane, just like I'm doing with you guys. I mean, spoiler alert, I love talking about this time time of YouTube <laughs> and not many people appreciate it like your audience will. So we love it. So in Texas, you like you guys, you know, you work with Preston, Brianna. Um, you've got this thing like the TBNR, like maybe like I want to dig down and like get solid advice from you because you have plenty of advice to be able to give from like the independent creator right up to like sort of building a, a media network but maybe like if you're allowed to like a lot of people don't still don't realize there's teams behind creators and you mentioned your channel had had 10 employees right like so what like what's it like working on on some of these bigger channels like what's the how does that all come about and, and come together to make like content I, I hope I have advice to give him on this. I can't say I've figured it out by any stretch. We're we're very much in in the early stages. I mean, I think anybody is right. There's there's a few companies that have scaled to the point of maybe you'd consider them as big as traditional media, like Rooster Teeth. I think is one that always comes to mind. But I think there's a a level that you hit where you you can't scale indefinitely and still have the spirit of that creator, right? Where it becomes very Sort of like how my hide and seeks got, you know, it's like, this is the formula. We're going to do the formula. We're not really going to think about the form. We're not going to constantly like the reason Mr. Beast is so good. You know, the thing that we strive to do every video is like, we want to improve every single time. We want to make sure the next video is like, they saw the last one and they were so satisfied, but this next one just blows their mind. They click it twice as fast, right? Like, so I think what you're asking for is, is kind of like context about the team. So I'll just kind of run through our, our company structure. So we've got a director of strategy that sits across the table from me. We've got um, a production manager who sort of manages the day-to-day production team. We've got a head of production or head of post-production who manages the team of six editors that, that cut, you know, the, the six or seven channels that we're up to now. I, it fluctuates depending on if we're uploading Roblox or not, but um, that would be, and then on my side, like I've got my, my job title is creative director. I like to think that I'm just kind of the only other person in the room that's done YouTube before. And that, that has, you know, a lot of value when you're stepping in as a new employee and your first week is you literally have to film a YouTube video and that video is going to get seen by millions of people. And, you know, if you're coming from a film background, you might have a completely different idea of what it takes to make that video. So, you know, I work mainly with the creative team coming up with the video concepts, direction of the channels. Um, I'm trying to think of any other positions. I mean, it's just like a traditional film set. There are PAs. Um, The difference is, I think, you know, we're trying to be like a very small, fast boat versus Disney, which is this giant cruise ship that, you know, everybody's got like a specific role. Um, I'd say that the people who we look for and that most teams look for in the space are people who are multifaceted, like willing to learn, willing to also accept that maybe the way they were taught, you know, was not the really correct way. I mean, if you do a marketing degree, which I always love talking to, it's like, what did they teach you? You know, did they teach you about billboards? Cause I, I just can't believe that's relevant in 2020. Maybe it is, maybe that's like the secret lesson that they learn. Um, but it's the same with film. You know, a lot of people don't like being told, Hey, all these rules you learned in film school, they don't really apply to YouTube. And guess what? There's all these weird YouTube rules that you have to learn. That's just like, you know, why do you do that? Well, cause that's what people do on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and, and when to push those boundaries versus when like, that's just a hard, fast rule, you know, like we're just going to always stay with that. 
I feel like I ramble every question. So you guys, no, please no, cut it, me it, off right, not saying right. relevant info. I mean, look, you're really you keen to lift the lid on what is happening in YouTube and how it all works. Oh, that's the perfect. That's the perfect. I was waiting to pull this out because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm the first one to bring it on. It's not even mine, but I figured you guys wouldn't mind having a 10 million subscriber. I'll make the thumbnail face. <laughs> there we go. Now you guys can use that for clickbait. Oh, but, I love a bit of YouTube face. Yeah. Nice. I'm well versed in them. Nice. But I mean, you mentioned before about obviously having multiple channels and managing multiple channels as part of your, you know, that network you have. Um, a lot of people do ask about this. It's like, you know, why do these creators have multiple channels? Why not try and, you know, push people towards one or two, you know, three channels? Like, why so many? Um, I mean, I think. We, I think we know the technical answer to that, but like, how, how have your channels developed and what are the specific audiences that go to them exactly? So the channels I'm talking about, we have uh, Preston and Bree as our main two talent. They both have real life channels where we post our, you know, that's the, the one that went from Minecraft to real life. And, and we did that whole pivot two years into real life posts. That's, that's our real life channel. Um, and Bree has one as well. Brianna plays and Preston plays. Those are the Minecraft channels. So our, our audience, obviously, we, we had a 7 million subscriber channel that was basically being turned from Minecraft to real life. We had to give those people a place to watch Minecraft content. And still, you know, that's what Preston was known for. He's made thousands of Minecraft videos. That's how we met recording Minecraft hide and seeks. Um, we also have two Roblox channels. Preston has a TBNR Frags channel, which is actually his very first YouTube channel. And... I think that's it. Oh, and I'm, I'm forgetting Keely, his sister, who has one channel launched and one channel that we're, we're looking to launch. And same, same sort of thesis is like separating the game audiences. Even though it's all gaming content, you know, we're not really variety gamers. We, we like to focus in and like really, you know, what's the best Minecraft video we can film? And how can we grow the biggest Minecraft audience? And at the same time, being cognizant of the fact that like, that audience might not enjoy us uploading Roblox two times a week. Mm. And with the way that YouTube works, AVD, CTR being as important as they are, you know, it's literally better to not upload a video than to upload a bad video or something. When I say bad, I mean something that's not going to satisfy the audience that you want. And for us, it was just easier to kind of separate that, make it a very clear, distinct line. If you like this type of content, you go here. If you like this type of content, you go here. And what that allows us to do is, is let YouTube organically promote us in their algorithm because we're satisfying a Minecraft audience with every single post. So YouTube's going to show our videos to more and more Minecraft fans. And that's sort of like our thesis behind um, you know, the multiple channels as opposed to, and there's no wrong answer. There's a variety gamer you know, for every person that does it our way. Uh, I think this way is just a little bit more sustainable and it allows us to kind of ebb and flow with, you know, Maybe we don't have a ton of time to post Roblox all the time, but that channel is never going to be, you know, that Roblox audience never goes away. We can come back to those channels in a month's time, whenever we have the time to post something. Um, that's kind of just how we've always approached it. And how do you manage? I mean, obviously, with uh, such a, a big network, you have obviously multiple sort of revenue streams. You have like, obviously, the sophistication required around that would be a whole lot more. It's not just purely YouTube ads, is it? No. Um, so our, our main revenue is, is, you know, we do a lot of brand deals, a lot of direct brands. Um, you know, we're with Night Media as our agency or our, our managing service. They're a great company, very YouTube savvy, very, very in the world. 
Preston also has his own merch in-house. So a lot of YouTubers will partner up with a merch distributor and, you know, just drop ship essentially, like you funnel the orders through and that company takes care of everything. Um, that wasn't really Preston's approach from the beginning. He, he started his own in-house merch company. And, um, you know, I think there might be more employees there than there are on TBNR side. So just packaging, manufacturing, um, you know, they run all the sales, all the website, everything is in-house. So that's a major, a major difference. And I wouldn't even say that's, um, you know, a major like revenue stream, but more so just something again, like I, I work for a genuinely good guy. And, and it's, that's like the big difference for me is like this guy didn't want to just take the easy route. He wanted to take the route that, you know, provides jobs for people and like allows him to keep a really tight hold on the quality of what he's selling to his fans. A lot of whom are young kids. Mm. So We've got that, um, you know, Preston's had a, a variety of different things that he, he's been involved with Cosmic. Uh, but as far as our company goes, I'd say it's it's mainly AdSense and, you know, the the brand deals that we do. I mean, there's there's no storefront, you know, like a traditional company. There's no like Preston store you can walk into and buy a bunch of stuff. There's a website. There's the YouTube channel. You know, we don't really do a lot of like hard right hook asks for our fans where it's like, hey, go buy go buy this. Like the merch is always there. There's a general awareness of it. That's about as far as we go. I mean, the best way people can support us is is watching our content. And it's a lot easier to do that if we put out good content. So that's kind of like the the cycle. It's like, it, it all comes down to just putting out good videos. If you do that, the rest of the stuff is, honestly, you can figure it out as you go. You can do a variety of different options. It's It's all going to end up good if you satisfy your audience. That's an awesome point. I love that. Hey, um, Nick, normally we ask people like top three bits of advice for creators. I don't want to sort of pigeonhole you into that. I sort of like <clears throat> and and limit that. I, like I want to just free flow with it. But going back to like an independent creator, right? They don't have an employee, maybe someone, maybe someone edits remotely for them rough cuts or something. But like where, like what should that creator be focusing on? Like what's your advice around you know thinking back to when if you were that when you were that at that stage right like what would have you loved someone told you like how do you knock six months off that runway for someone or six years even for some people so i have some very canned generic advice but i always like to put my twist on it so everybody always says you know make videos about what you're passionate about and I think when they're saying that, they're kind of just copping out. But I do agree with it in the sense that if you're actually enjoying what you're doing, right? I genuinely enjoyed Call of Duty trick shots. It never paid off for me. I am not phased. Like my my Call of Duty clan did not turn into this worldwide esports organization. But at the same time, I got a lot of value in the repetition of, you know, loading software, editing. Like I'm computer savvy because I spent so much time trying to figure out like, you know, how can I record this apage in better quality, you know, like troubleshooting it, it all led to the next step, the next season in life. And like, I think it's a lot easier to get that experience versus if you're not passionate about what you're making, you're just trying to jump on, you know, whatever you see that's working, whether it be vlogs or gameplay or whatever, and you're not genuinely, you know, you're trying to make gaming videos, but you've never played video games. You just think it's the thing to do. You saw Ninja. You're like, wow, that must be me. It, you're going to burn out in two weeks trying to do that versus maybe you really like running. There's probably not a huge audience for running blogs, 
But if you made a vlog about running, you're going to enjoy doing that a lot more and you're probably going to stick with it. And I think that's the thing people have to understand is it's not about this. You know, nobody blows up by accident. Like you have to put in the work. You're going to probably, if you're like me, it took me five different distinct cycles to find like the position, the area, the content that I feel really confident that, you know, like I'm meant to make this type of, of videos. And like, even now I'm, I'm already experimenting in my head and thinking and, and trying to figure out like, where do we take Preston and Bree next? Right. Um, so that's my generic canned answer with a little twist in the end. Did anyone say something to you or, or show you something along the way that you went, that it was a light bulb moment that you went, you saw the light or is this, the hard graft over time to find it. I think I've, there's probably been some moments, you know, I shouted out Mike um, who kind of let me know the, you know, cause like at 18, 19, I didn't realize like the relationship that YouTube has to advertisers. And I didn't realize that like, Hey, maybe these advertisers don't like a certain type of content. Like it makes sense thinking now and be having been through the adpocalypse, but there's always like sort of the, the like-minded thing. Oh, I, I definitely, this actually plays in really well. If you ever have a, an opportunity to bring value to somebody, if you can, and I've done this more times than I can count, I can give you specific examples. This is literally how I met Preston. I'll give you that example in the context. When I was doing my Minecraft hide and seek series, I knew these videos were good. I had two voice actors that were in-house that played characters. I had a custom map builder in New Zealand who was amazing. And I knew Preston's audience would like it. I came to him. We had known each other for a few years. And, and after a long, you know, a long time of knowing each other, we finally filmed together, right? Like I didn't ask just to be in a video for no reason. I knew that this video was going to do really well for him. And sure enough, it was one of the highest viewed Minecraft videos he ever posted. Immediately hits me up, wants to do another one, but he wants to pay me for the maps. And I'm like, I, I literally told him, no, I'm like, you can't pay me for these. I just need to be in everyone. I want to learn from you. I want to, and you know, so like, being able to, I would have never even gotten that opportunity if it wasn't for me just being, I could have off the bat been like, yeah, give me a thousand bucks. You can play my hide and seek map, you know, like just some stupid stuff. And I would have made money on the map, but lost out long-term. I think when you're a small creator, people like overvalue the idea that I'm going to help someone else do their stuff. When in reality, like you can potentially get even more value out of that if you're going about it the right way, like with the reps, maybe they have a project that is beyond your capabilities to do alone, but you can be in the room while that's being made. Um, you know, that's, that's where I get a lot of my experience is just, you know, being in the room with people who are smarter than me, luckily, like in this call right now, you know, just meeting and expanding your network and, and trying to, you know, doesn't matter if somebody is a smaller creator than you or a bigger creator than you. It is all, I've had it work both ways. And it's just something that like, I really try to live my life by because it's just, it's worked so many times. And it also makes me feel like a good person when I help someone out, regardless of where it leads down the line, you know, to be able to know that like someone might watch this podcast and get a really like, like their light bulb moment. I love that. And it's something that, you know, I don't even care if I never hear about it again, but like, how cool would it be down the line to meet someone and have them be like, yo, that really helped. Thank you for putting that out there. Like you could have not, but you did. And that's, you know, there's also, ooh, there's also this weird YouTuber thing that I wanted to spell for any upcoming creators. There is no reason not to share your secrets, right? If you find something that works, 
let other people know. They might have something that works too. And honestly, even if it's not, maybe it just gives you an outside perspective on on you know what this thing is. Like I, I'm just trying to dispel the idea of like you know there's this like YouTuber Illuminati, you know, where it's like this is we can't tell anybody their secrets. It's like honestly, I I tell a class full of middle schoolers every single year all of my secrets. If you guys ask me questions, like there's hardly anything I won't answer. And, and, you know, that's why I like working here because that, you know, me and Preston really see eye to eye as far as like that long-term outlook of, you know, you don't need to knock. And I think I'm quoting Gary V here, which, you know, he's from New York, whatever. You don't need to <laughs> knock down the tallest building to build the biggest building or I'm butchering it, but essentially you can just watch other people succeed while still having the drive to succeed yourself. And that's much better than trying to be this closed off, you know, small minded. I want to do this in spite of everybody else, or I want to trash everybody else. So I look better. Like, I just, I think that's the wrong approach. We're all in such a unique space and industry. And there's really genuinely, I promise you enough views to go around. There is like me making a podcast would not take away views from y'all in the same way that like, you know, there's a hundred podcasts not taking away views from Joe Rogan. Like it's all about what you're making. And um, yeah, those are my three very rambled (laughs) tips for new creators. Hopefully that someone can dissect that. I think they can. Um, And a really great place to finish the knowledge base of this podcast, but I have two things for you. One, Nick, um, Fred didn't know that I was going to bring this one into the this uh, podcast, but it's uh, we started a segment. Well, I started a segment called "Going Down the Rabbit Hole," um, which is a, a fun thing of YouTube, obviously, and every other social platform. But um, basically, just have you been down the YouTube rabbit hole recently, and where did you end up? Is what I'd love to know. Well, uh, I have been, and I found out that there is there is a group on an RV that live streamed themselves driving around and essentially just partying (laughs) and it's super low production value. There can't be more than a hundred people in the live stream, but this is like there it's like day 17 on this trip. And it's apparently like the fifth or sixth time they've done it. And like, that's about as deep as I go. Cause I'm, you know, I'm very aware of how deep you can go in the YouTube rabbit hole. And I, I try to stay on the part that's relevant to me, but that would be the, the oddest, I'd say most recent YouTube rabbit hole that I've gone down. I think it's like IRL streaming it. I, I it's, like it's an that. odd place. Yeah, that's a good one. Fred, have you, have you been lurking down a, disappeared down a rabbit hole lately? <sighs> no, no, not really. Nothing from crazy from last week, apart from my, my usual aviation, <laughs> Old, <laughs> I tend to get into in terms of learning more, but uh, particularly about uh, aviation in the US. I've like I've done a lot of um, follow a lot of cross country uh, aviators in the US at the moment, and I just happen to watch episode after episode, learning more and more about the uh, diversity across the country. You mentioned SoCal Flyer or SoCal? Oh, SoCal Flying Monkey. It's like a flying monkey. He's not actually a monkey. He's just a guy who's uh, actually he's a, he's a cinematographer who's um you know loves to fly and, and obviously with COVID found himself with more spare time to make videos and he's made these really brilliant like looking you know well created well structured little a- aviation films. That's a little story every time and it's just uh, fantastic. Love it. Mm-hmm. T- technical and uh, great storytelling as well. So yeah, I love it. <laughs> awesome. 
Uh, I went down a rabbit hole just this morning, and that's why it reminded me of this. I somehow ended up on a video that was titled Rapping Without the Letter E. <laughs> it's brilliant by this um, dude, Andrew Huang. He's a music producer. It's, a, it's an old video, really old video. It's like seven years ago, but it just I couldn't not click on Rapping Without the Letter E. It's like a two-and-a-half-minute video rapping about not using the letter E without using the letter E in any of the words. Man, that was my rabbit hole. So I'm, nice. I'm, I've got it queued up. I'm very excited to get yeah, into this. Check it this out. Check hole. it out and let me know what you think because it's <laughs> awesome. And then and then to finish off, um, Nick, this one's an ode for you. I felt like I was, I was reading this book last night. Um, it's a kid's book. It's called Secret Pizza Party. And um, <gasps> there you go. I yeah. like where this is going. Yeah. And then like, I, I couldn't help but think of you, Nick, which is very strange when I'm reading this to my four-year-old daughter. Bed, but um, Ah, pizza, so beautiful. You could hang it on the wall of a museum. So convenient. You could eat it in the bathtub. Of course, the best part about pizza is the gooey cheesiness, salty pepperoniness, sweet, sweet tomatiness, and crispity, crunchity crust. Do you agree with that, Nick? I This is the <laughs> thesis of my life. And the funny thing is, I know the pizza, it's, it's a bit with me, and I'm always about pizza. The genuine part about it is I really love pizza. Like, I grew up in the Northeast. We have really good pizza out there. And it just was such an easy thing to sort of latch on to. Obviously, we got the pizza merch, which I you know decided not to wear for some reason today. But yes. And in fact, I'm going to need a copy of that book. That, it, that sounds like just the general i want to hang that quote on my wall it's, it's about a ra- raccoon that just loves pizza and he throws his own secret pizza party there you go <laughs> <laughs> uh nick thank you so much for joining us on creator generation and, and um being so forthright and honest and open with everyone it's um been awesome no i i told you guys off air but i i really appreciate the the sentiment behind this content behind this channel this podcast it's just it's something i think that if you're an independent creator, like this is what you want to be consuming. And, you know, there's, there's dozens, if not hundreds of channels making it now. And y'all have a better advantage than me because there was not that many people talking about this when I started. And I think you guys are doing a good service for the community. I, I really appreciate it. And listen, I'll be back on when y'all hit the 1000 subscribers. I don't know what number <laughs> we want to use, but make sure you guys subscribe to this, this awesome channel. Little CTA for you. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much. Chicken. Thanks, mate. Created generation. Look on the mic.